If you like what you watch, then don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for the latest updates on The More Show. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel for new weekly television and radio shows. The comments and views expressed on The More Show are those of the people that make them and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kevin Moore, The More Show, or this radio station and its affiliates or sponsors. to another edition of The Moore Show, which is sponsored by the UFO Matrix magazine. I'm Kevin Moore, and on today's show I'm about to be joined with Oliver Williams, who is the website editor for the time travel story of John Teter. Now, John first saw Teter's postings in the fall of 2002. After reading many of the sites where John was discussed, it amazed Oliver as to how much polarization and confrontation John's post caused. Oliver soon realized that part of the problem was that there was no one place where all the posts could easily be seen. In early 2003, Oliver gathered the posts that John had left online and edited them into a single website. Oliver doesn't know if John Teeter was a real-time traveller or not, but what still amazes him about the post is their ability to draw you in, question your sanity for thinking it might be real, and then scare to death after seeing the events unfold. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, Oliver, just give us an overview of uh, who John Teeter was. Sure. Um, John Teeter, actually, um, I just took a look at the calendar, and it was, it's going to be exactly 10 years ago, November 2nd, that somebody claiming to be a time traveler from the year 2036 um, went on a series of Internet forums uh, claiming to be a time traveler and they offered to answer questions. They talked about the future, about technology, um, you know, how time travel worked. And for a period of three months, this person answered questions, and then they announced that they were going to leave. And this is March of, 2000, uh, March of 2001. This person announced that they were leaving, and they were never heard from again. And I think the reason why we're here talking about it 10 years later is because a lot of what this person said people feel has come to pass. Um, talking about the physics and the technology and the politics, you know, we're here and I'm here because some of the things that this person said sure made it sound like they really were who they said they were, a time traveler. Okay, but how would you class your part in, in, in all this? I didn't first become aware of it until 2003 um, when a friend of mine showed me some of the posts online and at the time, back then, you had to sort of go to multiple sites to see the entire conversation. And I had the same experience that my friend had, had shown me, which was as soon as I found one, I stayed up probably you know, 24 hours straight reading everything I could, have, could find about this. And I found it to be incredibly amazing. But the struggle was I saw that there was so much material all over the place. So what I did was I just put up a simple website where I started putting all of the posts that this person had made and I put them in one spot. 
And then as it grew, I started adding news events that were occurring that you know supported some of the things that this person was saying. So that's kind of where the site johnteeter.com came from. And since then, um, you know, I've been running hot and cold. Sometimes I'll go th- uh, three to six months without making an update. Other times I'll be aware of something that happens in the news, and I'll go back and, and I'll keep posting. So this has been an ongoing thing for me, and, and again, it's, it's a, just as fascinating. I don't know if it's real or not, but it sure is a heck of a ride. So he came from the year 2036, um, but what was his mission originally? He claimed to be part of a military group whose job it was was to go back to the year 1975 and get a small personal computer. It was one of the, actually the first portable computers made uh, by IBM, and it was in Rochester, Minnesota. And he claimed that they needed this computer in the future because it had the ability to communicate between very large old mainframe IBM systems and other systems that they had. I guess there was some special uh, trick or technical issue inside this computer that allowed it to talk, uh, you know, I think it was basic, APL, and system language, but it could all be done in this one computer and it was portable, and that's why they needed it. Now, at the time, nobody really paid too much attention to it, but this is one of the things that, that got me was after this person was gone, after he left, um, some IBM engineers came forward and said, um, I don't know if that guy was a time traveler or not, but everything he said about that machine is true. And maybe only 20 people knew about it because it was a marketing issue at the time that they didn't want people to know that the, the machine was that versatile because then it would have diminished their business. So they kept that under wraps. So at the time, there was only about 20 people that knew that this machine could do it. And, you know, apparently John Teeter was one of them, or he really was a time traveler. Now, after visiting 1975, um, did he not take a trip to the year 2000? Correct. Um, What he said was, is that the reason he was chosen for this mission was because his grandfather was involved with the computer project. So it made it much easier to approach that person and be able to get the mission done, tell them who they were, why they were there. And I guess that was part of the mission protocol. That's not unusual, according to John. If you're related to the person, it's much easier to get the mission done. But something happened in 1975, according to John, some experience which forced him to come to the year 2000, which was not part of his mission. He was supposed to go back. The speculation is is that John did something in 1975 which stopped Y2K for us. So either he was trying to correct that or he was trying to do something else here, but basically the result of all that would have been that we are now living on a timeline that was altered by a time traveler in the year 1975. And one of the things that I guess you could say might support that idea is at least here in the United States, we were going crazy in the year 1999. Everybody thought it was going to be a disaster. Millions of dollars were being spent. Everyone was getting ready for the end of the world, and then literally nothing happened. So, you know, a lot of people feel that he may have been telling the truth, that that's exactly what he did change. So what was John's future like? I mean, what did he say about the year 2036? The year 2036, according to John, was a period where... um, the Earth, nations, countries, states were recovering from a, a, a third global war, which was a nuclear war. And he talked specifically about events in the United States. He said a civil war led up to this, 
um, which started in around the well, he says it's the, the seeds of it were were there in the year 2004 and five, but then the actual conflict started in about 2008, and then people started shooting each other around 2010. Um, he said that by 2013, the world would be engulfed in this, and there was a nuclear war, a period of nuclear war, and then a period of recovery. But he went on to describe his world after that as being better than it would have been before. And what he said was is that as a result of the war, people learned what was important in their life. They, they realized the, the technology and the, and the food and everything else that they were dependent on was not the way to go. And because of this war, people drew closer together. And he said societies and the way people lived together and related was much better after the war. But the reason that he was sent on the, the mission in time was to get this computer to try and help some of the systems that had been destroyed during the war. But did he describe at all how uh, time travel worked? He did. And actually, he went into a, a, a large amount of detail about how time travel worked. Um, basically, he said that his time machine was about the size of a, a, su a large suitcase. Um, it weighed about 500 pounds and it was kept inside of a vehicle all the time. And the way that it worked is that it used two mini black holes, what he called micro-singularities, and he said by injecting electrons onto them and by altering their spin and their direction, it was possible to create a gravitational field that could be manipulated by the time machine. And it was this gravity field which allowed you to move either forward or backward in time. Um, he talked about Kerr black holes. He said the math for how this worked is available now. Um, a scientist named Kerr described a spinning uh, electrically charged black hole and how it's possible to pass through one of these without being crushed by the gravity because the singularity was actually donut-shaped. So it was actually possible to pass through these um, into what he calls other universes, but John explained that what you're actually doing is moving into a parallel universe that looks exactly like the one you left, but you can adjust at what point in time you enter this parallel universe. He so said that's how time travel worked, at least physically. So when he went back to his own future, was he actually going back to the same universe? Um, no, and actually this is a, a, a lot of people have trouble getting the grip around this or understanding this, basically what he said was is that once you leave um, a universe, it's actually impossible to get back to the exact one. So you can travel around all these different parallel universes. You can be making changes, you can be doing things, you can be finding out what's going on, but you're never actually changing the universe that you left, and it's actually impossible to get back to the one that you left. Now, a lot of people say, well, what's the point of time travel, or gee, how do you explain that? And what he said was is that traveling in time, it's like being in a, in a barber shop, you know, where you have mirrors on both sides of the wall. So when you step in there, you look right and you see an infinite number of images of yourself, and you look right and you see infinite number of images yourself because the two mirrors are reflecting. He said what time travel is is basically you're stepping out of one room into the other, but all of the images of yourself, all the reflections are also doing the same thing. So even though you may not make it back to your original universe, another version of you that's on the same trip will make it back to the universe that you left. So the whole point of time travel is not actually 
you getting back. It's, for example, in his mission. His mission was to bring back an object. And I guess time travel is very, very efficient at doing that. Since everybody went out to get the same object, everybody comes back to a different universe with the object that they needed. So, so that's the point of time travel. Okay, I did say there that he actually went back to the year 2000, but did he not originally go back to the year 1998? Yeah, there's been... Okay, let me... I'll explain this a little bit. When I first started this, I became aware of the posts online, and he started making those posts in November of 2000. However, as more and more people got into this, they began to discover that he was sending faxes out and it was a similar type of show. It was a paranormal, it was UFOs, it was Bigfoot. And apparently, somebody who sounded a lot like John and was saying the same things back in 1998 sent two faxes to Art Bell, which he read over the air. Now, the interesting thing about this is I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it until I started looking at the details, and they are pretty exact, you know, what this other person was saying two years later. But one of the predictions that this person made in the facts he said that in New York, there's a skyscraper missing. He says, where, where I'm from in my time, there's a skyscraper that's missing. This is 1998, so 9-11 had not happened here. So a lot of people point to that as John trying to you know, signal that, hey, I'm, I am who I say I am, and you're not going to realize it until the year 2001. Now, where did he stay from the year 1998 to the year 2000? According to him, he said that he spent the time with his family, his mother and his father, and the younger version of himself, who was born in 1998. So either he arrived just after his own birth or a few years later. But he said that he basically walked up to the front door, told his parents who he was, why he was there. He was able to prove it, and then he stayed with them for that three-month period. So how old would the uh, younger John be now? Well, if he was born in 1998, I'd see, he would be, what, 12, 13 years old now. And just to get a little stranger, now that the time-traveling older John is gone, the family, you know, his mother and his father and his, his younger self, who would be 13, apparently are now being represented by an attorney here in the United States, and this attorney speaks for them. And I guess they've moved from Florida, and they now live in Omaha, Nebraska, but, you know, this attorney is, is real. He's exactly who he says he is. Um, he's been interviewed a couple of times, but he claims to represent the family now and, you know, trying to protect their interests and, and, and keep, them, keep them away from all this. Have you been able to uh, track down the family at all? I have not. I mean, uh, you know, apparently they talk rarely with, the, with this attorney. He talks rarely with them. But uh, the only information that we have is that they live somewhere in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and there have been some things coming out, like even in the last year, and I'll, I'll be happy to talk about this too, but there's been some indications that now the mother, or, uh, the mother person is starting to come forward and reveal a little more information about, about John. Now, I mean, has anybody been able to track down uh, John's IP addresses uh, from when he made these postings originally? Yeah, actually, that question gets asked a lot, and... When you go back to the forum where he did most of his postings, the IP address was listed you know, in each response. And he made no effort to hide where he was. He said that, you know, he said where he was, 
and the IP address apparently matched up with it. Um, he said he was actually in Florida, which is one of the other reasons why this attracted to me, because a lot of the things that he talked about, where he was, places that he lived when he was a boy, um, I, I know where they are. I've, I've seen those. You know, he claims to have gone to a university here. He claims to have uh, lived near an area. Uh, it's a river over in the Gulf of Mexico, and I, I know where that is. So a lot of these areas he claims to have been, that's also what attracted my attention because I wanted to find out if, if this person was, was saying what they, they knew about these places. Sure. I mean, uh, what kind of individual was he when he was doing these postings? I mean, you know, was he quite approachable? Yeah, he, he would answer any question um, that was asked of him. He had three rules, though. He said, I'm not going to answer questions about specific people. He says, I'm not going to answer questions about uh, natural disasters. He called it death by probability. And the other one was he wasn't going to answer any questions that would allow somebody to profit off of the answer. He said those were his three rules. And he said the reason why he was doing that is because he didn't want, he didn't want individuals to be able to change things based on this information. So if you ask him about physics, you ask him about the future, you ask him about politics, you know, he was happy to answer that. Um, the only thing that seemed to annoy him was people were constantly asking him, you know, who's going to win, you know, what, what are the lottery numbers? Who wins the horse race? Who's winning this sports event? And those types of things really bothered him, I think, because not so much that they were being asked, but because one of the things that he was really upset about was how self-centered and, you know, egotistical people were. And he, that, those types of questions really bothered him. Yeah, I mean, look, I suppose he could have been a time traveler, but he could have been a lie. Uh, absolutely, and, you know, that <laughs> that possibility has occurred to me, too, is that he was a time traveler, but one of the reasons he was online was he was obviously trying to manipulate something. And when you think about it, if he was a time traveler, I don't know why else he would do that. Or, you know, the, I'll tell you, again, there's some speculation now about why he did it, but up until about a year ago, that was my conclusion, was that he was either trying to communicate with somebody or he was trying to manipulate somebody. And yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't in his best interest to tell the truth all the time. What's the speculation? Well, in the last year or so, uh, another bizarre website has gone up. Actually, I think it was on YouTube. Somebody first pointed this out to me. And apparently it's a video of a letter that John had left and his mother released it on YouTube. And according to this letter, the reason John had written the post, all right, this gets a little weird, so please follow me on this. According to this letter, not one John showed up in the year 2000, but two Johns showed up. And what they were trying to do was get back to where they were supposed to be, but they couldn't do that for some reason, so they were leaving messages to each other in these posts. So the way that it's explained is that one John would have been here for a month and done one set of posts, then the other version of that John would have posted for the next month, and they were leapfrogging each other, trying to communicate with each other. And that's the, the latest speculation on, on why the posts were made. Like I said, it's, it's outside of the realm of the original posts, so I try not to pay too much attention to that. But I'm, a lot of people are starting to send me some compelling information you know they're going in and trying to figure out what the code is, and it, it's it is it's starting to it's starting to look a little more interesting. So how old is uh, the John right now that uh, left the year two thousand and went back to the future? 
Wow, let's see. I believe he said when he was here in the year 2000 that he was 38 years old. So if he were to go back to the year, well, let's see, in our time, I guess he would be 10 years older. But from his perspective, maybe he's not any older. But uh, what about the grandfather paradox theory where, you know, if you were to go back in time and you made a change or made an alteration that accidentally, you know, killed, you know, one of your, you know, your grandfather, for example, um, surely, you know, when you go back to the future, uh, you know, you wouldn't exist. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting you should bring that up because only in the last couple of years or so, have physicists now starting to come forward and saying, you know, the big stumbling block to time travel, which everybody thought was the grandfather paradox, was obviously you can't go back in time and change something. You know, the, the argument is you can't go back in time and kill your grandfather because then you would never be born. So then if you tried to come forward in the future, you wouldn't exist. And for a long time, people have thought that there was a lot of validity in that. Well, now science is coming forward and saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. This idea of parallel universes, it's looking like it is real. So what that means is, is you could go back in time and kill your grandfather, but you would only affect that mini-universe where you did that. So if you were to time travel out of it, then there would be no effects. So again, people ask, well, what's the point of time travel? Well, it's to get stuff. If you needed something from your grandfather, then there's a reason to go there and do that. And I, think, I think that's what John was trying to explain. Or as an observer as well, perhaps. Yeah, and in other words, if you wanted to go back in time and get information and bring it back, you could do that too. But John described the differences between universes. He called it a, a, a was the word, a variance, a, a, a convergence. I think it was a. He had a word for it, but it was basically a a mathematical number that described the difference between two universes. And he said that on his mission, it was expected to be about one or two percent. So that means that if he's time-traveling to the past, to 1975, he expects that 1975 to be 1% or 2% different from the 1975 that's in his history books when he left. And I said the more that you travel, the farther that you travel. He said his time machine had a limit of, I think it was 60 years. So if you traveled beyond that, then the uh, divergence is what he called it. Then the divergence would be too great, and then you wouldn't be able to get anything done. I think one of the examples he gave was, is I could use my time machine to go back to the birth of Jesus, but because of the divergence, there's an excellent chance that he never would have been born. I, I'd show up in a universe where, where there would be no Jesus. So, again, that's another idea that's a little strange to get your head around, but apparently the farther away you get from your origin, the, the, the more different it looks than what you expect it to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting the whole multiverse idea around your head, it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, now, with regards to the time travel device, um, was it something that you could uh, that he would walk around with? No, he said it was very heavy. So, basically, the you know the the mission that he was on, you had to put it into a vehicle that would fit in with wherever you were going. And he described it being in two vehicles. The last one that it was in was apparently a you know a, a 1979 uh, General Motors truck is what he kept it in. And since it weighs so much, I guess you would need somebody else to help you carry it. And if you're by yourself, you're not going to be able to do that. So apparently this machine sits in the vehicle, and uh, th that's where it stayed. Tell me about the uh, Civil War. I mean, uh, was it nuclear? Um, the Civil War that he described in the United States. Now, this is one of the bigger criticisms that he gets, because 
he made some very cryptic uh, predictions about the year 2004 and 5 that a lot of people look at and go, oh, look, the Civil War didn't start in the United States. He was wrong. But a lot of people now are looking back at what he said, and they're seeing that there may be some validity you know, in the ramping up in the conflict. And maybe he was a little off. Maybe he was off by two or three years. But I got to tell you, you know, one of the, the things that we do is, you know, we do Google alerts and we look for stories in the news. And right now, you look up the word civil war in the United States and you're seeing that word pop up more and more. I mean, it's it may not be a war between Democrats and Republicans politically, but there's a lot of really angry people about some of the legislation that was passed in the last few years, um, about immigration, um, about the, the medical system here in the United States. And, you know, people are looking like they're on the verge of picking up arms and, and, and trying to make a decision about that. So a lot of people are saying, wow, 10 years ago, no one would ever have thought we would be at this point, and now here we are. Yeah, but this, uh, this civil war, I mean, was it just in America, or, you know, did he mention Europe? Yeah, he, of course, since he was here in the United States, he talked mostly about the United States, but he did mention what was going on in other parts of the world. He said the the Civil War in the United States added to instability in the West, which basically launched this Third World War. And he said that the, the main war, or the, the missiles flying war, was between the United States, um, Russia, and China. And the odd thing about it is he, he describes Russia as being an ally of the United States. He said at the end of the Civil War, without Russia's help, we would have lost. So the way he talks, as if Russia helped his side win the war. So whoever he was fighting against must have been an enemy or on the bad side of Russia at the time. So a lot of people are looking at this saying, well, maybe it was the, the political establishment. Maybe it was the leadership in the cities. And people in the country or you know, from outside of those influences, they were what started the war. And then Russia came in and... and uh, launched nuclear weapons against our cities, which allowed his side to win. So from his perspective, Russia is not a bad guy. Um, he does say that Europe uh, was part of the war. He talked a little bit about um, conventional fighting that happened, um, I guess, in Germany um, and in France. He talked a lot about China expands during this period of time. They annex uh, the Koreas in Japan. Um, they do launch an attack against Australia, which apparently is rebuffed. Um, he talks a little bit about South America. He says South America doesn't get involved as the rest of the world does. But at some point, every one of these countries is, is involved in, in this war. So uh, in his future, then, there must have been certain areas in the United States that were uh, off-bounds due to uh, you know, the nuclear war. Well... Yes and no. Again, 10 years ago, when he was describing the nuclear weapons that were being used, um, he was very specific about it. And it wasn't until much later when news started coming out about new developments in nuclear weapons that did it make more sense to people that it wasn't a total annihilation. These were very strategic, tactical strikes. You know, if you wanted to take out one city with a nuclear weapon, and leave everything outside of a 10-mile radius fairly intact, apparently you can do that now. And that's, those are the types of weapons that he described that were used. It wasn't a giant megaton 
you know, city-busting, wipe-out-everything type of war. It was very, very tactical, strategic strikes that, that took out uh, very specific targets. So uh, in John's future then, did they uh, still have entertainment? I mean, you know, was there still the movies? Yeah, again, this is another area where, you know, back then, you know, I'll, I'm going to tell you what he said. And you go, yeah, we've got that now. Back in 1998, in the year 2000, he talked specifically about something that he called Internet nodes. He said basically what's going to happen is these little devices with antennas are going to be everywhere, and you're going to be able to get on the Internet without having to connect wirelessly. Now, of course, we go, oh, of course, he's talking about the wireless network. But again, I have to stress, back then, nobody was even thinking about this. Everybody was on a, you know, a, a baud rate modem connecting to their computer, and the idea of wireless Internet was still a ways off. The other thing he said was that the demise in this centralized, massive media complex was going to happen, that all of your entertainment was not going to come from three or four places, that people would actually start making their own entertainment and putting it online, and then that's going to be the dominant form of how people see things. And, of course, now we have things like YouTube. And, again, I have to stress, 10 years ago, nobody knew about YouTube. So a lot of people are looking at that saying, yeah, he was right about that. <laughs> Incredible. Um, how did John describe the U.S. Army in uh, 2036? Yeah, the, the way he described, let's see, this again goes back to the way he described how societies and communities had developed. But he said that he was a, a veteran of the Civil War. You know, he had started fighting when he was about, I think, 13 or 14. And as a result of that experience, um, he was drawn into this uh, division, I guess, that sent him off on the time travel mission. But he basically described it more of as a militia. He said everybody is a part of it at some point in their life, and it's organized, but I guess he described it as you have to have an appreciation for what you're fighting for. He said one of the things that they learned is that if you have a professional standing army that's protecting a lot of other people that don't have to take part in that, that a division grows, and then they don't appreciate what all the fighting is about. So what they learned was is that if you're going to be a citizen, you're going to be part of the military at some point. And this is sort of the way he described his experience. Now, one of the things he singled out uh, in his uh, postings was uh, mad cow disease. Do we know why? Yeah, he mentioned this, again, he mentioned this early, and I didn't understand it when I first read it, and again, I've come to have a better understanding of it, he was warning that mad cow disease, or whatever the, the, you know, the germ or the bug that causes it, has an incredibly long life inside of the, the host or who it affects. So he says, you're going to see more stories of it coming up. He said, in the year 2036, it's a major problem. A lot of people have it because of the, the bad food that they ate, which is one of the things that he also talked about. But... As a result of that, now it's, you know, five, seven, ten years later, and I'm starting to see stories about how maybe uh, Alzheimer's disease is misdiagnosed uh, mad cow, or how some of these other things that have gone under the radar that we haven't been paying any attention to may actually have been caused by the same disease. And I'm seeing more and more of that now. So a lot of people are pointing to that going, wow, I hope he's wrong about that. But again, it, it's not something he was wildly off on. You know, why do you think people are still fascinated by the story? Actually, that's a good question that I ask myself all the time. And I'll tell you an experience I had about a month ago, a month or so. 
I was in one of my cool periods. I hadn't paid much attention to it, and I hadn't seen anything in the news. And I got a Google alert for a website that was holding a, a, a chat about John Teeter, you know, a forum chat. So I decided to log in just to see what they were talking about. And what amazed me was so many people now who weren't, see, you know, they were in their, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and they're now 20 years old, and they're being exposed to what the posts were. And they're not asking who was it or was it real. They're asking what it meant. So I think the the change now is not so much, gee, is he really a liar or a time traveler? It's why did he do this? Why are so many of these things very close to what's happening and others aren't? They, they want to know what it means, not if it's real. And I think that's a huge shift that's happened in the last couple of years. Do you think he might come back? Well, according to how he described time travel working, no. I don't think that John will come back. According to you know, some of the information we're getting now from the mother character, there may be other Johns that are coming into our universe that need this information online to get out of it. So one of the speculations I've seen is that the reason these posts are here, you know, the reason that they're easy to find, is because if another John does show up, he'll be able to look at the posts and get the information that he needs to, to get to wherever he's supposed to be. Again, go back to that example of multiple versions of a reflection in a mirror. If an infinite number of Johns are having trouble getting home, then this may be a way station, you know, a place where they can come and get the information to get back, back to where, they're, where, where they belong. Yeah, and, uh, and change the future so that we're heading towards a different one. Absolutely, and I think that's, that's a big question a lot of people ask, is if, if we are living on a, a timeline or in a universe that was changed by a time traveler, is that good or bad? And, and what do we do about it now? Well, you just try to imagine what he's doing right now. Yeah, well, you know, I, personally, I would rather not go through a, a nuclear war, but I have to tell you, I see the value in the outcome of that. You know, one of the examples he gave was he said he was with his parents, and I guess the power had gone out. And he said everybody had walked outside. He said all the neighbors, everybody walks outside, and they start talking to each other. You know, are you okay? Hey, is your power off? You know, and then as soon as the power goes back on, everybody goes back into their house and watches TV. And he said that is the example of what is wrong now. And he said the, the conflict is what brings you out of that. So in a way, I, I see his point. I said, I think we need that. It would be great if we could get there without having a conflict, but I, I see the point. Did he ever talk about uh, space travel? He did. He... He was asked specifically about that. I think he said that because of you know, where they were and where they were putting their energy, space travel was not uh, a huge effort in the future. But he did say they were trying to work out a way to use the time travel technology so that they could send um, either probes or something um, you know, either to Mars or the moon or other places, and they could do it instantaneously to get the information back versus waiting for the ship to travel there and, and return. The only other reference that he made that I can recall right now is he said specifically that China was going to be the next country to put men into space. And of course, you know, four or five years after he left, that's exactly what happened. And uh, did he ever mention anything about uh, 2012? Yeah, he, uh, he did say 2012 is an interesting date, but he said not for the significance that you think it has. He said the world's not going to end 
you know, the sun's not going to explode. He says it is an important time, but that's as much detail as he went into. So he seemed to be much more concerned about dates after 2012 where, you know, countries and people were in conflict. You know, looking at uh, the science now, let's say the sun has a hiccup and an electromagnetic storm wipes out, uh, you know, wipes out electricity and communications permanently on the Earth that would basically have the same effect as a lot of things he was talking about. So, you know, who can say what's going to happen? But he, he said that, yes, something happens, but it's not the end of the world. Did John ever mention about the, uh, the time period that he stayed in between uh, 1998 and uh, uh, 2000? I mean, it, it must have been pretty strange for him, uh, you know, to come back to that period. He did. Um, actually, I believe he was quite disturbed by it. He was talking about certain experiences that he had that were totally alien to him. For example, um, I believe he said once that he had gone into a, a large grocery store with his parents, and he had never, ever had that experience in his life before. He said he was absolutely overwhelmed by you know, the gallons of milk and the loaves of bread and all the food that was available right there. He said that totally caught him by surprise. He had never seen anything like that before. Um, he talked about what people ate. He said he watches people, you know, eat fast food, eat processed food, eat, eat food that they have no idea where it came from. And to him, that was a totally alien idea. In fact, I even think he said that uh, either they would go find fresh produce and that's all he would eat, or he would watch the meals being prepared that he ate. But he never, ever ate anything that he, he didn't know where it came from. Um, he talked about a little bit about uh, having a cold. Apparently when he was here, he noticed that he had a lot more colds than usual, which I guess would make sense. Um, you know, he talked about how much art and literature and, you know, things that were available to the average person that nobody took advantage of. And suddenly when these things are taken away from you, how much you miss them or you want them or you want to learn about the future or the past. But, you know, we have all this stuff at our fingertips on the Internet and nobody takes advantage of it. So it was things like this that I think really surprised him or caught him off guard when he was here. And did John mention about, uh, you know, how long it took him to travel in time? I mean, was the journey instantaneous? No, actually, uh, let's see, let me think back. Apparently, you know, he actually, uh, he printed and put online a few pages from, I guess, the operations manual of his time machine. And if you look at it, it gives a basic description of how it works, but there's a description there for... I think it was something like maybe a year, an hour. You know, at 100% power, it would travel maybe one year, an hour. At 75, it was a little less than that. So I guess it had a variable setting, but if you were going to travel back, you know, 30 years, then it would take you 30 hours to do that. And have you been able to, uh, you know, fault these pictures that John left? You know, I, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess it's one of those things where you have to look at it, and then you personally have to go, wow, is this real or not? I mean... It looks real. The math looks real. The descriptions match what he's saying. Um, the most interesting one, I think, is there's a cutaway drawing. It's a three-dimensional cutaway drawing of what he claims is his time machine. And if you look at it, it's obviously a mechanical drawing of something. And for the last, you know, 10 years, there's been a reward out. I think it's, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars for anybody who can who can tell what this thing is and can prove it. 
A lot of people have thought it was some sort of a sophisticated radio system or a radiation detection system. But to my knowledge, nobody has been able to come forward with any documents backing up what this thing is. And if you look at it, it, it looks like a time machine. And uh, did John ever talk about uh, ufology at all, about uh, you know extraterrestrial beings? You know, he did. Um, somebody asked him what he thought UFOs were, and his response was he believes that they are um, time travelers with more sophisticated machines than his. So the inference there is that they, they may not have been aliens. They may have been you know, people from our far future that were traveling here in other time machines, and that's what he believed they were. You know, from the uh, from the bits that you've described about John, I mean, it it does sound like he had an understanding of physics. Oh, that's not even the beginning of it. I mean, I don't even know how to take you down this road. Some of the things he said at the time, well, I'll give you an example. Let's start at the beginning. He said that multiple realities were real. He said that's how it worked. And at the time, of course, that was science fiction. You know, people talked about it in science, but nobody really gave it any serious thought. Now, 10 years later mainstream science is coming forward and saying, yes, he's absolutely right. Uh, that's how we believe it is now, multiple realities, and we believe the physics that he's describing is real. Not him specifically, but they're saying the same things John did. Um, Stephen Hawking, John in his post said Stephen Hawking was going to change his mind about the way that he thought black holes worked and that that was going to be a sign that this type of physics was real. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Stephen Hawking came forward, I think it was, what, maybe four years ago, and decided that he was wrong on uh, how black holes worked. You look at uh, major scientists now that are actually working on time travel, and they're saying exactly the same things that John said. He said, well, if you could do it, you're not going to be able to get back to the universe that you started at. Um, you know, manipulating gravity, using lasers to go back in time, I mean, all these things that John had said now mainstream science is coming forward and saying, yes, that's true. This is, this is how it works. Well, you know, you look at uh, CERN, you know, they've been uh, trying to create artificial black holes, and, uh, you know, now they're looking to even build a, an even bigger one. Yes, and, that, and I find that absolutely startling. In other words, uh, John said, in fact, this was the, actually the first prediction that caught my attention. He said that in January, uh, not January, he said in October of 2001, CERN was going to make an announcement that they expected to be able to do this, or there was a possibility. And that's exactly what happened. On almost exactly the, the, the date that he said, that announcement came forward. And that's what I think started all of this. And now you look at it, and you know, if, if I work at CERN, I have to be aware that this story is out there. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, they probably get email all the time, oh, this time traveler said that you guys are going to invent black holes. So I have to think they're aware of this. So what would that mean? That would mean if it was true, would you come out and say, hey, guess what, that wacky time traveler, he was right. We did create a black hole in the lab. Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't say anything. But now what are they saying? Oh, we need a bigger one. <laughs> so I, I kind of find that a little strange. <laughs> so did you ever talk about the uh, world's population? I mean, uh, you know, was it a little depopulated? Yes. He, he uh, boy, off the top of my head, I cannot remember the numbers, but he said close to two or three billion people as a result of the war and starvation and disease and you know everything else that that's how many people were going to die from the period when the conflict started to the period when it would end and you know this included uh, you know mad cow this included 
you know, uh, cholera. This included not getting medical attention. All of those things combined, he said, roughly the, the earth was about 2 billion people less. Right. And, uh, you know, just to remind everyone, you know, this could be going on in a parallel universe out there right now. Right. Or more frightening, if we don't, if we're not careful, it could happen here, too. And I, even if John's not real, I think we're kidding ourselves if we're going to try, if we try to convince ourselves that that's not a possibility, because it is. And did he ever mention in, in his time travel postings uh, about the idea of deja vu uh, and what it was? Yeah, he did, actually. Um, there were a number of philosophical, metaphysical questions like that that he got, but he, he was asked about that. He said that the theory that they have in the future is that deja vu is actually a connection that you're making with another version of yourself either in the future or in the past, maybe a couple of seconds, maybe a minute. But that all, well, actually what he described was that right now in your mind, think about something that you did yesterday or think about something that you want to do tomorrow. What you're actually doing is you're accessing the real-time memory of that event happening in another version of yourself in another universe. So it's not something you're conjuring in your mind. You're drawing this from somebody else who's experiencing it at that second. So what we call deja vu, you know, feeling like we just did something, you made an immediate connection with a version of yourself, maybe a split second behind you, and you feel that that experience is happening, the disconnection happens, and then, then you have it again. So that's, that's how he described deja vu. And would you say that, uh, you know, John just specialized in one particular time period? Well, he said that his mission was to go to 1975, and that he was familiar with that time period, and that he had studied it before he went there. So yes, that that was where his target was. And I'm, you know, his mission profile was to go there, get the computer, and come back. So I don't think he expected to, to you know, to come to the year 1998 or 2000. And would you say there's other time travelers out there like John? I mean, you know, from 2036. You know, he did say that there were other time travelers in his unit that were assigned to do different things. And, you know, since you say that, one of the other questions that, you know, people always ask him was, well, if time travel is real, why don't they come forward and say, hey, I'm a time traveler? You know, and his response to that is, uh, why would I do that? Because, first of all, you're going to label me a nut, and then you're going to want to take a screwdriver to my time machine. So why, why would time travelers come forward and say who they are? They're probably very afraid, and if anything, they would, they would want to go unnoticed. They would want to be invisible. They wouldn't want anybody to know they were here. And uh, do people accuse you of being John Teeter? You know, every now and then I get asked that question, and it's very, very flattering. But, uh, you know, I would just classify myself as his biggest fan. But no, I am not John Teeter. Now, there is a book out there called uh, Tales of a Time Traveler. We've linked it on our website. Um, who wrote this book? Was, was this John's mother? Well, according to, you know, the mythology that's out there right now, the book was put together by his mother, and then that's kind of when this attorney surfaced. So there are some messages or some writings from her in there, um, and it's a consolidation of all the posts, but I believe it's been out of print for a few years now. And as I recall, last time I checked, I went to eBay, and I actually saw the book going for like seven or $800. Yeah, that sounds about right, because I think there's only a few copies left in the U.K., so... Uh... Yeah, I think uh, they're going for quite a bit on uh, Amazon.co.uk, but, you know, the book is out of print now. 
Yeah, it's again. It, I mean, if if you were doing this for money, I, I would assume you'd keep selling your books. So you know, that just sort of adds to the mystery. So, uh, how often do you normally update your website? I mean, I know you said before that uh, you've not done it for about a year, but I mean, you know, wouldn't you normally keep a couple of uh, updates every month? Yeah, I would say normally I would do it every few months or so. And again, I run hot and cold. Like I said, there's days where I look at this and I go, this is crazy, you know, this is not real, and then I'll see something in the news and I go, wow, that's just unbelievable. And then that's when I'll update the site. I think now that there are so many new people coming to this, we're going to go back and I think we're going to update the site and maybe update the technology too. So I think right now the site is in HTML and we're going to rewrite it, try to make it a little faster. And like I said, add some social media aspects to it so it's a little friendlier to go to the site. But, you know, if nothing else, at least the information is there and people can see it for themselves now. Any interesting government agencies, do you think, that are watching the website and watching the story? I have no idea. I mean, I get bizarre phone calls all the time, but, you know, if you believe the story, if you believe what he is saying, what his mother is saying, then they want the story out there. You know, so... You know, I don't know what to make of that. If you're trying to make money on this, where's the big motion picture? Where's the big book? Where's the, you know, and there isn't one. So it doesn't seem like that was the reason why this was done. And uh, did he mention any sort of, you know, future heroes or, um, you know, people that he used to look up to? Wow, any heroes. Not that I can think of. I, nope, not off the top of my head. I, I mean, he, t he talked a lot about history. And looking back at, you know, famous people in history that, that he admired, you know, you know, of course, here in the United States, the, the founding fathers of our country, historical figures in Europe. But, no, I, I don't recall him actually talking about any, any, any heroes in his time. Was there not a famous soldier's poem that was uh, related to John? Yes. Um, again, this is another one of those bizarre coincidences. When he was fighting the Civil War, he had described a poem that apparently was written by somebody or another soldier and that had been passed around, and he described it as sort of encapsulating the, the combined feeling that a lot of people had about people in the past. For example, he, his generation did not look kindly on the generation below them because they looked at them as they, they're the ones that got us into this mess. They're the ones that got us into this war. So there, there was this feeling of uneasiness and, and rebellion, and, you know, they tried to encapsulate it in this poem. And it was called A Soldier's Winter. And he went on to describe the poem a little bit. Well, I think it was 2005, um, a soldier in the Army actually wrote a poem that was entitled, uh, I believe it was the exact name, A Soldier's Winter. And it was written exactly the, the same way that John described it, and it had the same content and the same subject matter. So a lot of people feel this may have been the starting point for that poem, or, of course, you know, whoever was responsible for that may have also been responsible for the post to begin with. But, yeah, that, that, was, that was a very wild coincidence that a lot of people point to as, as being more proof that this might be true. The attorney to John's family that you mentioned earlier on, um, does he have a website at all? Um, I don't believe so. Um, you know, you can look him up online. His name is Larry Haber, and he's an entertainment attorney. And, you know, from what people have discovered about him, he, you know, he does a lot of work overseas, and he has a lot of different types of clients. Uh, what I do remember is that when this first came out, um, a lot of people were following him around, taking pictures of his family and his home, putting it up online. They were harassing him at his office. 
So I believe he's moved a couple of times since then, and I haven't seen anything recently. But, yeah, he got quite a bit of attention when, when it first came up. But I think you can go look him up now, and I think he's still on the Internet. Any chance of uh, John Teeter the movie, do you think? Well, again, there's apparently been speculation about some sort of a film, you know, for the last five years, and nobody's really seen anything yet. But I will tell you one thing that is interesting. If you, you can either find this on, on my site, or I think you can find it looking online, too. There's a company, uh, a film company in Orlando, Florida, that started following some of the people that John talked about around. Um, I guess it got started with a, some, you, know, you have to go look at the videos. It was basically like four guys and a video camera that started going to the places that John talked about and following up on some of these things. And there's a series of, I think there might be ten of them now. And I think they, there's even an interview with Larry in there. So you can find these on YouTube and go take a look at them, but they're, they're very interesting too. Okay, okay. So um, how, how would you summarize all this? I mean, you know, is, do you think there's anything that John might want you to say? You know, I don't know if there's anything he'd want me to say. The only thing I could say is that as a result of this, my experience, you know, I, I think time travel is a neat idea. It's something to fantasize about. Everybody wonders what it would be like to time travel. But if you read John and you understand him, time travel may not be that way at all. It may not be something we're meant to do. You know, it may be something we want to do, something that we could do, but it might be incredibly destructive not only to our time, but, you know, to ourselves, to our, our, our souls, if you will. So the message for me in all this is time travel may not be something we should do, even if we could. You know, to me, this is just a, you know, a fascinating story, the whole idea of the, the parallel universe. Well, you know, the, the, the bottom line seems to be, you know, whoever did this, whether it was a group of people or one or two people, they knew about physics, they knew about history, they knew enough about the news to make a few accurate predictions, they knew about the IBM computer, you know, they knew how to draw, they, they were able to keep it quiet, I mean, so many things that they, skill sets that you'd have to be able to do to pull this off. And, you know, either it's 10 or 20 very brilliant people sitting back, you know, I don't know if they're laughing, but they're proud of themselves or it's real. Well, Oliver, it's been a complete pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. To find out more information on Oliver Williams or John Teeter, go to johnteeter.com. Or visit my show, themoreshow.co.uk, and look up Oliver Williams under past guests. And until next time, be safe. Visit themoreshow.co.uk forward slash shop to purchase products and services from your favorite past guests. If you're new to this site, you can also catch up on the previous television and radio shows through YouTube and the More Show website.